0: The following is a production of the people of Mars Hill. For more information, visit pomh.org. So Malachi chapter 3 is where we're going to be camped out today. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 18. So if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. As you're turning there, guys, like, we, we're almost there. So we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We can see the finish line today. We're going to be finishing chapter three. Next week, we're going to look at all of chapter four. So Jack's going to unpack that for us. And that's going to be a huge milestone for us because I don't think in the history of Mars Hill, we've looked at an entire chapter. On, in one Sunday. So this is a big deal, guys. You don't want to miss next Sunday. Now, those of you who've read ahead, you're like, yeah, but it's only six verses. Be quiet. That's not the point. The point is we're, we're looking at an entire chapter. So um, that leads us to the week after Thanksgiving. We're going to do a, a wrap-up. So we're going to summarize the entire book of Malachi. And then we will dive into, before we go into the book of John, we're going to do a six-week study on the incarnation of Christ, and so the incarnation meaning the coming of Jesus in the flesh, so God in the flesh. We we thought this would be good to uh, prepare the way for John, and also to um, in the midst of the Christmas spirit, uh, just to prepare us for that. So the layout uh, layout the layout of this series is going to look something similar to this. So Jesus came as blank in the flesh to be blank for us in order to enable us to do blank to the world. Right now that kind of looks like a who wants to be a millionaire's question, right? Like there should be a a b c and d below. But no, so that's kind of the structure of where we're going. A 6-week study looking at the incarnation of Christ because the reality is is Jesus came to real people during a real time to a real place in order to save, redeem and transform the lives of his people, so that way we could be a light to the world, and so the the gospel affects our lives and it impacts our lives. So this will hopefully set the stage for the book of John, and then also hopefully um, encourage us to be um, active in our faith, um, particularly during the Christmas season. So that's where we're heading, but let's wind back and bring our focus back to the book of Malachi. So the the book of Malachi is a heavy word. It's a burden, a stern rebuke to Israel from the Lord written by the prophet Malachi. We know that because of the way it starts. Malachi chapter 1 verse 1. Uh, there's two things that I think, uh, if you had a Malachi for Dummies book, I think these are the two highlights that you could you could land on, is that first, Israel was a messed up group of people who were sinful. Could we agree on that? One of us could agree, okay? I'm alone in that. So, But I think also in the same breath, we see ripples of this glorious truth is that God is steadfast in his love and in his covenantal faithfulness to his people. So despite Israel's uh, failures, despite their hard heart, you still see God's love and his steadfastness continuing. Yet despite this reality, Israel is convinced that they were right and God was wrong. And so they've become frustrated, they've become fed up, uh, with what appears to be God's lack of action on their behalf. And so they have came back from uh, Babylonian captivity. They're back in the promised land, but it's far from uh, paradise. So things aren't going well for them. And so this has led them to a lack of fear and a lack of honor uh, towards the Lord. And it's led them to making some bold claims against The Lord of hosts. And so our passage today, Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, is a continuation of what we learned last week. And so last week we saw a group of people, Israel, being addressed who have rejected God, who have accused him of injustice, and who have declared that it that to serve the Lord is worthless. If you remember, they exclaimed, It is vain to serve God. And they made this claim because they saw no tangible benefit to their religious activities. And so they saw, we saw last week that there was this transactional understanding of God that they had formulated. So they thought, okay, if I do A, B, and C for God, then God is going to do X, Y, and Z for me. And so it's this, God is an ATM machine type mentality. And this isn't good. This isn't healthy. This isn't what scripture teaches. And so last week we were reminded that we don't serve God in order to receive God's things. We serve God simply because God is worthy. And so that was the crux of what we learned last week. But because of Israel's hard hearts, this group of people came to the conclusion that serving God is worthless. It was worthless because they weren't experiencing any benefits to their religious activities. Therefore, they were throwing in the towel, this is vain, this is worthless, this is dumb. But here's what we know, they weren't serving God at all. Rather, they're serving themselves. They were seeking to do religious activities, this surface level obedience for God in order to receive benefit for themselves. But that wasn't matching up. Life wasn't what they expected, and so therefore, they got frustrated, and they're throwing in the towel, this is vain, they conclude. So that's what we looked at last week. This week, we look at a second group of people who come to a different conclusion. So although their circumstances are the same, the posture of their heart is vastly different. This week, we'll see a group of people who, despite their struggles, they fear and honor and serve the Lord. And so what we'll ultimately see at the conclusion of this week's text and in our passage next week is that when justice comes, this first group, the arrogant, those who do not serve the Lord, will be consumed. Things will not go well for them. And the second group, those who, the righteous, those who serve the Lord, those who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord, they will be spared. The conclusions will look very different For the two. So, contrary to what some may think, there is an eternal hope for the one who draws near to the Lord in fear and reverence. And so, that's what we're going to see today. Let's go ahead and dive in. Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. It says this Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. So let's look back at verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. So then tells us that what is about to take place is a direct response to what has previously taken place. Fair? And so in response to the hostile words, the hostile actions that were previously mentioned, those who fear the Lord spoke with one another. So they, they huddled together. They began to have conversation with one another. They gathered around. Now, for the most part, the book of Malachi has been pretty doom and gloom. So there, there hasn't been much hope that we've seen in terms of the people of Israel. They're pretty sinful. So this verse should kind of lead us to smirk a little bit. This is the first time we catch a glimpse of anyone doing anything positive besides the Lord. And so this, this is good. This is the sun kind of creeping out behind the clouds. And so this is a big deal. But what I want us to notice is what Malachi doesn't tell us here in the first half of this verse. Malachi, for some reason, spares us the details of their conversation. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. So apparently, I'm a pretty nosy person because I want to know the, the content of their conversation. What in the world did they say? Like, apparently, apparently I'm a pretty nosy guy. I read this, this pun. I'm like a pepper, I'm jalapeno business. Uh, so Mark Rudd was adamant that I needed to undergo spiritual discipline because of that joke. So no, I, I thought I thought it was relatable. It's pretty chilly outside, so I thought we needed a pepper joke. No, all right, I, I'm done. No, so I, I'm done. I promise. I promise. No, so so think about this for a moment, right? Up until this point in the book of Malachi, we've been spared in regards, or we haven't uh, been spared in regards to the words that have been spoken against the Lord. We know the exact words that Israel has murmured against God. So for example, in last week's passage, right, we know that Israel spoke some hard words against the Lord, and we know exactly what those words were. And what did they say? They said that it is vain and unprofitable to serve God. We know that. He gave us the details. We know that at the end of chapter 2, they wearied the Lord with their words by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and that God delights in them. So up until this point, the content of Israel's speech was used as evidence to reveal the corruption of their hearts. But here, Malachi doesn't reveal to us the words spoken by those who feared the Lord frustrates me. No, nothing's given. So like, I'm reading with my nosiness, why? Why did he not give us these details? But I think Malachi obviously spares these details on purpose. External actions, yeah, they're important, and they reveal to us the state of our heart, but external religious activities is not what the Lord is after here. God, through the prophet Malachi, in chapter 1, verse 6, makes it clear that he desires for his people to fear and honor his name. Let's look back to this verse. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. So although the details of their external actions, the words that are spoken, although those are spared, the posture of their heart is not. We see that what they're doing is exactly what God desires and has made clear in chapter 1. So more than God is concerned with the cleanliness of our speech, which he is, we see that he's concerned with the state of our heart. That's the importance here. So the emphasis of this verse is not content of speech as much as it is about the posture of the heart of those who fear and honor the Lord. Malachi gives us clear indication of the state of their heart and the motives of their words. These were people who feared the Lord and who esteemed his name. Look at this. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. So we see two details here describing the people in verse 16. They feared the Lord, and they esteemed the name of the Lord. And so judging by the language used here in verse 16, the fear of the Lord and to esteem his name is literally to do the exact opposite of what we saw last week. Fair? And so where the group that we saw last week arrogantly taunted God with the statement that it is vain to serve the Lord... Those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name tremble at the thought of offering him unbelief and disobedience. John Piper says the fear of the Lord is the feeling that God is not to be trifled with. You see all throughout Proverbs, the fear of the Lord being talked about. Proverbs eight thirteen tells us that the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Proverbs 16, verse 6 says, by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. So this group of people in Malachi chapter 3 who are turning away, these are a group of people who are turning away from evil deeds that have been addressed up until this point in Malachi. The fact that these people are described as those who fear the Lord reveals to us the reality that they are a people who now hate the evil that they were once doing and who are returning to the Lord by turning from their sinful deeds you see repentance being displayed here. So these are people who have gathered together and who are saying, you know what, he's right, and we're wrong. What we've done is corrupt, and we are sinful, and the Lord is right. And so you see this fear and this honor being displayed in their life. To esteem the name of the Lord is to humbly trust the Lord in his timing, praying what Jesus tells us to pray, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So to not esteem the Lord is to demand justice in action on your own timing. And that's what we've seen Israel do up until this point. And so those who feared the Lord had a different concern than those in last week's passage. And last week we saw that this concern was centered around their own profit and their own gain. But those who fear the Lord concern themselves with exalting the name of the Lord and humbling themselves before him. So this is a group of people who, in direct response to what was previously said by the evildoers, have come together, humbly bowing down in reverence to the Lord, exalting his name. They have rightly returned to the fear of the Lord and have returned or repented, more say, from their fear. Evilness. And so because of this, they have returned to the Lord in fear and honor, and the Lord paid attention and heard them. So that, that's a beautiful statement. And the Lord paid attention and heard them. Let, let's unpack that for a moment by first going back to what we saw last week. In last week's passage, we saw that although this, this group of people's speech was against and directed to the Lord, it was with one another. So look at this really quick. Your words have been against me, says who? The Lord. Very good. So this is the Lord saying to Israel, your words have been hard against me. So we see who the speech is against. It's against the Lord. Then go down to verse 14. You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the prophet of are keeping his charge, or of walking in mourning before the Lord of hosts, and now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test, and they escape. So you see that God is the one that they are speaking about, but they're speaking with one another, and so God wasn't invited into this conversation, and so they're thinking, okay, if God isn't acting on our behalf, then he must just be aloof. He must not be listening, He must be distant. And so they're having this conversation with one another about God. But does that mean God's oblivious? No. God heard every word, and he recited it to them as he rebuked them and addressed their sin. And now, in our passage today, those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention, and he heard So church, listen, there's not an action done, there's not a word spoken, there's not a thought to be had that does not go unnoticed by the Lord. God knows all. He pays attention. He's listening. He's watching. There's not a deed done in the dark that won't come to light. He sees all, he hears all, he knows all. And so this truth should both comfort us and it should convict us I think it can do both for us. For some of us, as we seek to conceal and hide the sins of our life, this is a terrifying thought. (laughs) The reality is, is you're not getting away with it. You're not slick. God's watching. Your sinful actions done in dark are not hidden from the Lord, and they will one day be revealed, and they will be dealt with justly by the Lord. Others of us may be faithfully plugging along, serving the Lord, but feel as if we're receiving no recognition, as if there's no benefit in this and we become weary in doing good, I think we can take heart. Your good deeds done in darkness will not go unnoticed. God is just meaning he treats all people fairly in both blessing and in cursing. So not a single word spoken will fall to the ground without God's notice. This is comforting, and this is convicting. God heard the arrogant words of the wicked, and he heard the repentant words of those who feared him. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention, and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. So whatever was spoken was good, because it flowed from a repentant heart. It flowed out of the heart of those who feared and esteemed the name of the Lord. And what's interesting is that a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. So earlier this week, as I'm reading through this text, a little peek behind the curtain of how I study, I print the text out on a piece of paper and I begin to obliterate it. So I'll underline things, I'll circle things, I'll write out questions. One of the first questions I wrote this week was, what in the world is he talking about, about a book of remembrance? And so I, I had some confusion there, but during this time, kings kept precise records of actions of their people so that they could properly reward acts of righteousness. You see an example of this in Esther chapter 2 verse 23, where Mordecai saved the king's life, and a record of Mordecai's actions was then written in a book. And then later on in chapter 6, Esther chapter 6, we see where one night the king couldn't sleep. And so at that time, they didn't have melatonin pills, and so he was struggling. So he's restless at that point in the night. And so he gave an order for someone to come and read a, this book to him. And it was then that the king remembered the good deed of Mordecai. And as a result, the king sought to honor him. And so the recording of Mordecai's good deed ultimately led to his benefit. But it didn't lead to his benefit right away. Not an immediate benefit, but a future tense benefit. So in some way, Malachi, in the same way, Malachi is using the same language to drive home the point that the Lord maintains a heavenly record of people and events. And although not right away, there will be great benefit that comes to those who fear, honor, and serve the Lord. And we're confident of this because of what we see next in verses 17 and 18, but we're also confident of this because nearly every time God remembers someone throughout scripture, it always entails his action on their behalf. So you look at the story of Noah in the ark. So Genesis chapter eight, as they're in the ark, it says this, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. So this isn't a, you're at a family reunion, and hey, do you remember your cousin Johnny? You're like, oh yeah, hey Johnny, how are you doing? And then you go on your way. No, this remembrance that we see is, it leads to action, Remembering entails action from the Lord. So the fact that a book of remembrance was written before the Lord of those who feared him and esteemed his name, that tells us that God will act on their behalf in the future. So this is a promise. This is comforting for those who fear the Lord. God not only knows, he remembers, and his remembering leads to the action of rewarding the past acts of those who fear and honor him. So where serving the Lord may seem forgotten or unrewarded or worthless, may we take heart in knowing that God does not forget. And so those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord heard, paid attention. A book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. So he's watching, he hears, and he remembers, and his remembering will lead to a future action on their behalf. So in response to those who say it is vain to serve the Lord, Malachi is saying through the example of those who fear him, no, no, no. There's great benefit in serving the Lord. Press on. The benefit of fearing, honoring, and serving the Lord just may not come through material blessing. You may still be in the same boat. You may be going through trial, going through trials, but the benefit of fearing the Lord, of worshiping and serving the Lord comes through an eternal hope that is found in belonging to the Lord. Look at what God says in verse 17 about those who fear him. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. And so this week, as I struggled to figure out why Malachi doesn't tell us the content of their speech, why does he withhold that information from us? I I struggled with that until I got to this verse. The emphasis of this passage as a whole is not on the words of man. The emphasis of this passage is on the words of the Lord. I love this quote. What counts most in the book of Malachi was not what the god fears said about God, it was what he said about them. So the Lord didn't just remember them, but he spoke and acted on their behalf. And so up until this point, we've seen the corruptive words of Israel against the Lord. But now, again, we see the loving, redemptive words of God declared for his people. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. They belong to no one else. They are his Mine, those who fear the Lord, belong to the Lord, and they are his treasured possession. God won't just remember these people, but he will treat them as his own special treasure. This is beautiful. This is beautiful language, and this language should have triggered their memory back to Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 through 6, where Israel was called out and set apart to be God's treasured possession. Exodus 19, verses five through six says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So Israel's called out, set apart to be God's treasured possession among all peoples. And the same language rings true in our passage today. And the same language rings true for us as New Testament believers. We see in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So God's declaration in Malachi chapter 3, verse 17, should serve as a reminder of God's redemptive plan. Despite the failures and shortcomings of God's people, God's plan for redemption has not been thwarted. God will remain faithful to his covenant that he has made with his people because he cannot change. So how many of you were here doing our study through the book of Romans? A few of us. Okay, so in Romans, one continual theme that we learned is that that not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. And so there was this phrase that we kind of coined during this time is that true Israel depends not upon race, Rather, it depends on grace. And so salvation is a gift from God that he extends to whoever he will. It's not something that we can demand or assume because of our race or color or creed or because of any good deeds that we've done. It depends upon God's grace. So in the book of Malachi, we see that some of Israel, who's begun to think that because they are Israel, God's chosen nation— then they should experience God's blessing in favor. And they've concluded, I've done what you've asked. I've given you this obedience, but you're not giving me your blessing in return. And so you see this, this mentality, this hard heart of, I'm trying to earn this, or I'm trying to demand something from God. But then you also see that there are those who have responded in repentance, fearing and honoring the Lord, And what God is doing here is he's pointing at those who fear and worship him and he's saying, they shall be mine. They are my possession. I will spare them. So God's faithfulness to his covenant with Israel remains as there will be some who humbly respond in repentance and who fear and honor the Lord. And it will be those who fear the Lord that he will spare. And so the Lord will spare them As a man spares his son who serves him, the Lord will spare them. He will have compassion on them. He will show pity on them. He will not give them what they rightfully deserve, and that's wrath. He will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. So Malachi here is clearly referencing the challenge that was brought up in last week's passage. By the arrogant. In response to the accusation that it is vain to serve God, Malachi again is saying, No, that's false. There's great benefit to serving the Lord. In the same way that God said he would spare Sodom from his wrath if they could just find 50 righteous men, God will spare those who belong to him. He will spare those who fear, and honor him. The benefit found in serving the Lord far outweighs anything that one could gain in this life. The benefit found in serving the Lord will manifest itself one day when we stand before him. So in last week's passage, we looked at Ephesians chapter 1 really briefly, and we saw that because of the mercy of God found in Christ Jesus, if our faith resides in Christ— We will then one day stand before the Father, holy and blameless above reproach. We will be spared. A beautiful, hopeful truth. The Christian hope is found in the fact that we will one day be spared by God because we have been united with Him through faith in Christ. And how is that possible? How can a just God spare sinful people like us? And how can a just God spare sinful people who now fear Him? God can spare those who fear him as a man spares his own son who serves him because the Father did not spare his own son, Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, he says this, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Listen to this. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So the father sent his son, Jesus, to walk in perfect obedience, perfectly serving the father. Yet he did not spare his own son from his burning wrath. He gave himself up for us. So you see the full wrath of God being poured out on his son. He did not spare him. So that way he could justly spare us It's a beautiful truth. God gave us his only son, one and only son, Jesus, so that those who come to him in repentance may be spared as a man spares his own son. This is hope. This is beautiful. And it's because of this beautiful truth that we can continue to read and look at verse 18. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. And so up until this point, Israel's motivation for their rebellion has essentially been found in the argument that there is no distinction between the righteous and the wicked. So you see this this mentality being fleshed out, and they're, they're thinking all throughout the book of Malachi, God, we are your people, but we are suffering. The arrogant, the wicked, those who are serving false gods are prospering just as much as we are or more. And so where is the God of justice in this? And so the Lord of hosts responds to these false accusations, and he says, once more, you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. You will one day, once more, see the distinction between those who serve the Lord and those who don't. And so it may not seem like it right now, but God is not distant from his creation. He's not oblivious to what's going on. No, he's listening closely And he knows there will be a final day of distinction, a final day of judgment, and only those who belong to the Lord, who are his treasured possession, only those who respect and fear and honor the name of the Lord will be spared. And so for those whose faith resides in Christ, this will be a glorious day. But those who have rejected this free gift, For those who've come to the conclusion that this is foolish, this is vain, this is a waste of time, this will be a dreadful occasion. And so church, listen, these people were oppressed the same way that the cynics were in last week's passage. These people were familiar with the struggles of life. They knew what oppression was. They knew what it was like to to miss a meal. They knew pain and they knew struggle. I'm sure they had the same questions as those previously about God's covenantal faithfulness to his people. But the difference is how they've responded to God's call to repentance. The ones that we see in our passage today were reminded of God's loving faithfulness and goodness, and they saw their corruption, so they rightfully responded in repentance, face down, fearing the Lord, honoring the Lord. So now we see that the difference is that those who feared the Lord viewed God as a loving in relational father rather than a distant deity that you can use for your own benefit and gain manipulate and use into your own gain so their question about their current circumstances were answered and they became secondary to exalting the name of the lord and so church may we do the same the reality is is that probably the vast majority of us are probably struggling in some regard And that, if we're not careful, will lead us to begin to doubt and question God's goodness. And if we're not careful, it will lead us to go down the path of those that we saw last week and saying, it is vain to serve the Lord. There is no profit in this. But may we be a people who continually fear the Lord, clinging to the hope of the gospel. In whatever circumstances we find, we exalt his name because he is worthy. So that way we can join with Paul in Romans chapter 8 in saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We can then ask, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who's at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, none of these things can The trials of this life are incapable of separating us from our eternal hope in Christ Jesus. And so this should compel us and spur us on to faithfully serving the Lord with our lives and wanting to exalt his name in any and everything that we do because he's worthy. And so I've been praying this week, may, may God, may we be a church, may we be a people who fear the Lord. May we be a people who, for the sake of his name, may we hate that which is evil. And when I say may we be a people who hate that which is evil, may we be first reflective of our own heart in that regard. May we not be a people who hate the evil that's found in everybody else. May we be a people who hate the evil that's found in our own hearts. And so, Lord, help us to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, the one who has called us out of darkness into marvelous light. Lord, rid us of any self-righteousness. Remind us of the reality of our sin. Remind us of the hope of the gospel, of the grace and mercy that is found in Christ. Remind us of the reality that we were once not your people, but now we are your people. So, church, may we be a people who fear and honor and serve the Lord. Because there's great gain in it. There's great benefit in giving our lives to the Lord. There's joy now for us in the midst of trials and tribulations. And there's an eternal hope waiting for us. One day we will be able to see the distinction between those who do not serve the Lord and those who do those who reject the hope of the gospel and those who do not, those who cling to it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. Lord, help us to be a church who fears you. God, as we see that those who feared you spoke with one another, so you see a small glimmer or a glimpse of community found here in this text. So church, help us to encourage one another to press on in the faith, to continue to rightly worship you. God, I pray for those in here who, who may be struggling with doubt, who have maybe just wandered into a, a season just of maybe rebellion or um, just because of the busyness of life or the mundane of life, they've drifted off into just a rejection of you. And so Holy Spirit, convict us, draw us back. Lord, may we, may we be a people who fear you, who worship you, and who exalt your name in any and everything that we do. God, I pray for those who, whose heart is hardened and who reject you with their lives, who aren't a believer. God, I pray that the scales off of their eyes will fall, that the eyes of their hearts will be enlightened to the hope of the gospel to the hope that we will be spared, not because of anything that we've done, but because of your mercy, because you did not spare your son, Jesus, that you gave him up so that way we could be spared. You gave up the one who did not deserve your wrath so that you could spare the one who did. And so, God, may that be a beautiful truth that we cling to in any and all circumstances. May the hope of the gospel compel us to faithful living. Lord, it's through your son's name that we pray. Amen. Folks, as Brad leads us in song, there will be some who will be standing over here next to this prayer um, banner. If you need prayer, um, I encourage you to make your way over there. so that way, we can lift one another, one another up in prayer.